0: Page 21, we'll be doing Lesson 3, but before we do that, uh, for those of you who weren't here for our first service, just want to point your attention to that back cover. That back cover of the notebook has lots of things that are going on in uh, the life of our church that we want you to be aware of. So if you're not still not familiar with us, uh, we want you to know that you are welcome to attend any of these things. Um, we don't want to... We don't want to just get to know you on Sundays. Nor can nor can you we really get to know one another just on Sundays. We've got other things built into our church schedule so that you can uh, meet people and uh, spend spend more time with us if you're if you're crazy enough to want to do that. We've got things like uh, on June fourteenth we've got some la- and sixteenth we've got some ladies events. And so if you'd like to attend uh, the some of the things with the moms and tots. Or you'd like to attend your lady and you'd like to attend the ladies Bible study. We'd be glad to have you. You can jump in at any time. Uh, there, you don't have to have registered from the beginning. And there's no charge for either of those things. Uh, if you've been coming to, uh, to this, to this class, what's the world coming to? And you'd like more information about our church. Uh, you are invited to attend one of our newcomers brunches. We've got newcomers brunches about four times a year. That's at uh, Pastor Ken's house. And I should say, you know, why is this guy up here talking? Um, I'm Pastor Matt. Uh, Pastor Ken is out of town. He is, uh, he is working at teaching and preaching at a conference in Nova Scotia. So since Wednesday, he's been doing that. He's preaching uh, two or three times today at one of the churches out there. There was a pastors' conference on Thursday that he was that he was speaking at. So he's had a lot of speaking engagements. He's still out there, and uh, he has. Uh, so I'm filling in for him right now. But that newcomers brunch is at uh, at his house, and that's a way for you to just show up on a Saturday morning, have some breakfast and ask questions about the church and get to know some other new people. So for the most part, it's new people that come to those things. And uh, if you don't have any questions, as I said this morning, you can just take the free breakfast and and run. Um, But I've seen some people come. They don't have any questions at all. They just kind of want to hang out and talk and see what their inside of their house looks like. And uh, there are other people. uh, There are other people. His house doesn't look like Jim Baker's house in case you're... (laughs) We're not taking in $129 million a year here. If you weren't here for the Sunday morning uh, sermon, well, I'll explain that part later. Um, But I've seen people come in with a whole list of questions. I mean, they've got every Bible question they've ever had uh, written down. (laughs) And then there's other people that come... And they want to hear uh, diff, you know, what, what, what makes your church different. They've had, you've had different kinds of church experiences and they want to find out, okay, what's the difference between what I've, what I've been at and what I may be coming to? So there's no, uh, no obligation for you um, just because you come to the brunch. You don't have to keep coming to the church. But we want to give you every opportunity to get to know us, to have your questions answered. And if you would like to do that, you can sign up for that at the information table to my right. And then we've got other things. We won't go through all of them, but we've got, we've got uh, backyard fellowships that take place. Um, we've got we've got family camp. We've got camps for teens. So if you'd like to take advantage of any of those things and you've not have been, been around for a long time and you're wondering, hey, can I jump right in? The answer is yes. We would gladly welcome you at, at any of the things that are going on in our church calendar. So uh, look at your schedule and look at the back of that notebook and anything that you think you might want to participate in. If you have questions about it, we'll try to get that information to you, okay? Beautiful, beautiful weather. I see they've opened the door so that we can uh, turn this place uh, back from being an ice rink into uh, at least a little bit more moderate temperature. So uh, you guys are lucky to get to sit over by the door, stay warm. Everybody have a good weekend. That was a resounding, not really great. (laughs) Um, I'm speaking on on the tribulation today. You can see there on page 21 that we're going to be talking about the tribulation. And I feel like I went through the tribulation this weekend a little bit um, because I went to a place called Ikea. (laughs) Have you ever ever been to Ikea? It's a horrible place. (laughs) Don't ever go there. (laughs) You go to this, this enormous store... Uh, and they've got a restaurant there. They've got a, uh, like an indoor playground where they'll watch your kids for you while they, while they play. Um, and they've got several other things that signal that you're going to be there a very long time. <laughs> and, and my wife happens to love this place. And uh, so every time I go, I, you know, I'm a little bit motivated by the food because there is a restaurant there. Um, so that's like the one bright spot in it. But Ikea is like a maze and, and it's, it's designed that way on purpose. And so once you enter that place, it, you're like a rat in there trying to weave your way through two floors of furniture. And there's no straight lines. There's no clear way to get out. And, and that's, that's, of course, by design. So we were there. I mean, I, every time I think, okay, we're going to go in and we're going we're gonna to get right what we need and we're going to leave. That never happens. And I don't know why I think it every time. But we were there for several hours and we got the stuff back home. And uh, if you've ever bought anything from Ikea, if you, for instance, if you bought a car from Ikea, you can't. But if you did, it would come in a box this big. And there'd be no written instructions. Just a picture of a guy... Doing something to the car, and I'm not good at really anything that has has to do with following instructions, putting things together, fixing something. So I'm challenged as, to begin with. I pulled this IKEA piece out of the box. It's it's just it was just a small picnic table is a strong word. It's it's like this big. We just need a little outdoor table. We don't have a garage, so we don't really have a place to store stuff. So we don't have just a tiny folding table. And I put, to my delight, I opened the box. There are two screws. Now, normally, I mean, it's a bucket of screws. Two screws. And I'm like, this is great. I can do this. And I start putting it together. Oh, I start putting it together. The two screws together. And I realize there's a hole that has not been, been drilled through the proper spot in this, this thing. And I do not have the know-how to actually bore a hole in this in the proper spot. So I've got to take this thing back. <laughs> and Ikea is in Canton. So it's like an hour round trip. So uh, we, did, we, we did that yesterday. I don't, I don't know what, this, this story is getting longer. Now. I'm just telling you about your, your blah weekend. I'm trying to make you feel better. If your weekend was lousy, I feel like mine was was bad too. Because we did that and the other we, we got a little bit of patio furniture that also didn't work, did wasn't proper so we had to put that take that back too. So so basically we spent the entire weekend doing all this stuff, and at the at the end of the night Saturday, everything was exactly as it had been. <laughs> so it's good to come to church today. <laughs> And, uh, that's why, that's why I say it's a, it was felt a little bit like the tribulation, but of course, nothing, nothing really like the tribulation. Okay. So let me recap where we've, let me recap where we've been after I've gone through that whole, after that whole thing. Um, as I said, I'm dealing with the tribulation today and I don't know, um, what I did to deserve that. Um, pastor Ken gets to teach about, you know, the great plan in the Bible in lesson one, he gets to talk about, uh, the Rapture, and number two, in lesson two, where we all get to meet Jesus. Uh, lesson four is called the King and His Kingdom, about how Jesus is going to reign. Lesson five is about the Resurrection. But hey, I'm going to be out of town the week. You can have the Tribulation. So that's this is the one that this is the one that he that he sticks me with. But what we've been doing so far is uh, we've been talking about in in chapter one. We've been talking about the fact. That the Bible is, the Bible gives us a cohesive understanding of the, of the story of the universe. I, I believe uh, lesson one is entitled, From Beginning to End. And a lot of people have the misconception that the Bible is, is just this book of, of things that we ought to do and things that we ought not to do. And so we should become a Christian. We should trust Jesus. And then we've got this stuff that we're supposed to do. And what that kind of approach to the Bible does is it tends to, um, it tends to I think, make us compartmentalize our lives. It doesn't give us... It, 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 Christianity no longer gives us a worldview. It no longer gives us a filter by which we can, by which we can filter our experiences and, and, and know why we're here and where things are going because if you're just kind of plopped down you're born you're born into the world and you, and you ha- you have questions everybody eventually does regardless of when those questions actually come but we have the questions of why we're here and where is this going and what's the point point. and the bible is able to make sense of all of that the bible is able to make sense of of your experiences it's it's not just the message of the gospel isn't just a message that makes it that makes when you die turn out okay the gospel message is something that changes and shapes you here and now and it gives and it gives new meaning to everything and the the individual parts of the gospel and the things that we've been studying about the end times and why those things happen don't make sense if they're just pulled outside of the larger picture of what's going on in 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 the Bible storyline. Okay? So God is God is in control of human history. That's what we believe. We believe that 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 God started this. He created us for his glory. And as one person said, He wants us the, the story of the Bible is God's people under his rule in his place. God's people under his rule in his place. And that's the situation that God originally created. Adam and Eve under his rule in the garden of Eden, they're in his place. And yet the entrance of sin into the into the world corrupts everything and ruins everything. And the rest of the Bible is the story of what God is doing in the world to rectify that situation. Because that original order that was once created of God, of, of us being of God having a people Joyfully and happily submitted in his under his rule in his place, that situation is going to be restored, and the Bible is a story of how that happens. So if we're going to understand the Bible, we're going there are do's and don'ts in the Bible, but we've also got to find and locate our story in the broader story of what God is doing. In Lesson two, we talked about the we talked about the rapture and the fact that there is a time coming when God is going to come back for his own. He's going to rescue his people from this world before he pours out judgment upon it. And the judgment is something that we're going to talk about today. He's going to rescue his people. We are going to be caught up together. The Bible says that we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And so we've made a lot of jokes at Harold Camping's expense uh, over the past few weeks, and rightly so. But... (laughs) we shouldn't make too many jokes about it because we do believe in a reality of the rapture. And it is, what the Bible says it is, a blessed hope. It, it is a partial realization of the fulfillment of God's promises that He's not destined us for wrath and that He has plans to show His people mercy and love and justice for all eternity. And he's planned it out and guaranteed that it's going to happen that way. And as we saw last week, there are, there's no way for us to be able to calculate when the rapture is going to be able to happen. The Bible does give us a picture of what the end times looks like. And it does give us some of the markers of things that happen. But the Bible doesn't give us a prophetic timeline so that we can get our calendar and our calculator out and know when Jesus is going to come. And there's always a prophecy guy in every church, right? Every church has that guy that's watching Fox News late at night and comes in the next day and, and says, you see what happened over there in the Middle East, okay? You, it's, you know, I, I think I'm getting a read here on what's going on. The Bible doesn't give us the ability to make, to make firm predictions like that. The Bible talks in, in metaphors and in a somewhat clouded way, and it doesn't, doesn't give us anything by which we could say, okay, Jesus is going to come back on this day. It's something that the Bible actually instead tells us that we're supposed to be ready for. So we're supposed to not spend our time worrying about when it's going to happen. We need to spend our time worrying, not worrying, but we need to be prepared for when it happens, whenever that might be. And one is prepared for that by being rightly related to the person of Jesus Christ who has come to save us from our sin. That's what we're supposed to be prepared for. And that's what we talked about, the rapture last week. So this week we're going to be talking about the tribulation. And the first paragraph there says, what are the signs of the end times? And so I've just gone and said that we're not able to get our calculators and our calendars out and figure, this, figure out when Jesus is coming. We don't know that. But we do know some of the things that are going to happen. And the, this isn't, this isn't an, an invalid question for us to ask. In fact, Jesus' own disciples asked him that question. In a passage that we're going to look at briefly later in, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives with some of his disciples. He's just about to go to the cross. And they're looking over the temple complex. And in verse uh, 4, I believe... Verse 3, they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And, And Jesus goes on to answer some things about that question. He doesn't give them the signs for when the rapture is coming, but what specifically seems like Jesus is talking about are some of the things that are going to be happening during the tribulation. And we'll see a little bit about see a little bit about that later what, what those things are going to be that are going to be taking place during the, during the tribulation but it's a valid question to ask and something that the scripture does speak to to some degree and you'll see in your first heading there on uh, on page 21 tribulation or tribulation that's and it's not totally clear by the way it's typeset but we're asking the question is this tribula- tribulation with a capital T versus just general tribulations because we all have tribulations right? <laughs> I mean, there are a couple of kind of tribulations in the world today. As, as I've already said, the world has been cursed by sin. And so we are experiencing sickness and death and natural disaster and all, all, of, all kinds of tribulations in general. Those are tribulations that are common to all people. Okay, everybody, nobody gets to go through life scot-free from sorrow or from pain or for difficulty. It is part of our human experience now. But there's also another kind of tribulation that Christians in particular experience. And it's something that Jesus, that Jesus promised would occur to his followers. He promises that there is going to be tribulation that, that, that is associated with being a follower of Jesus. And so we've seen throughout the centuries of, of history since Jesus has come, we've seen people die for following Christ. And it's not just something that's happened in the general past. It's something that's happening today. In fact, we have organizations like the Voice of the Martyrs, which are dedicated to, to making us aware, making the church aware of, of persecution of believers that's going on at a global level. Okay, Christians are being persecuted. We had someone speak just probably two months ago from China and this man recounted stories about, about how he's been in prison, and so imprisoned on several occasions for his faith. He talked about how the people, the, the, the churches meeting in China, many of them don't have the freedom to meet openly. And so they meet, uh, meet in homes. They file in one at a time to tr- try not to draw attention to themselves. And some of, the, some, of the, some of the places where they are allowed to have church buildings, their church services are disrupted. People are carted off to jail. Um, we've seen some of the, we've seen, uh, persecution that's been take, taken, place in Turkey just a few years ago. There were several Christians, Christians there who were lured, lured to a spot, uh, thinking that they were going to have an opportunity to talk with some people as people eventually tortured them for several hours before finally killing them. Okay. I don't say this to gross you out, but just to say that this is something that's, that that was promised to Christians even though you and I may not the the worst thing that we may experience is someone laughing at us persecution is a real thing and in Romans chapter 8 one of the things that Paul tries to encourage us with is asking the question okay what can separate us from the love of Christ and one of the things that he says is tribulations because he knew he had experienced and knew that that would be a common experience to all Christians but what we're talking about so the Bible does talk about tribulation in general, but it does talk about tribulation with a capital T. And there is a sense in which the, the, the tribulations that have, that have preceded it will pale in comparison to what is going to happen. Okay, this is going to be uh, a terrible time, a terrible outpouring of judgment. And it's something that we talk about and read about with sobriety. It's not something that we rejoice in. It's not something that we take lightly or with a cavalier attitude because God's wrath is real. And it is going to be poured out. And there are going to be a couple of factors you see at the bottom of page 21 that distinguish this great tribulation, I say with a capital T, from tribulation in general. One of those things you see, is that it's a distinct period of time marked by distinct judgments from God against sin and sinners. Okay, so two things. It's a distinct period of time marked out by distinct judgments. In fact, it seems like the scripture indicates it's a seven-year period marked by some distinct judgments that I'll ask you to turn over and look at. Just briefly, we we'll won't look through all of them. But these This is page 29. The tribulation judgments are found on page 29. We won't take the time to read through all of this, but Revelation, which is the very last book in your Bible, talks about three sets of seven judgments each that God pours out on the world. And you can see here that there are things like famine, death, war. There, are, there is a, basically a global breakdown, water supply breakdown, sickness, things being killed, heat, darkness, pain, all sorts of judgments that are poured out. And what what kind of distinguishes these judgments? Because we have some of these things going on, but what distinguishes these judgments is is really their supernatural character. That these are something that God that God is pouring out on a world, and that brings us to our to the second reason that this is tribulation with a capital T. The tribulations that have gone on throughout church history are that of people who do not. Trust and honor and align themselves with Christ, those are persecutions against believers, but the tribulation immediately follows the rapture of god 's people, so the tribulation judgments are not directed at believers; they are directed at a world that is that is that has aligned itself against god these are These are specific things uh, that god that God is doing to to working in the world that he has created that has that has for thousands and thousands of years shaken its fist in his face and said, You cannot rule. And there is a time when God is going to change that. If you turn the page to verse twenty two, or page turn the page to page twenty two, sorry I'm getting my pages and verses mixed up. There are several ways in which the which the, in which uh, the scriptures refer to the tribulation. You'll see here that it's referred to first of all as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a as as you see is a time when God can intervene uh, in either judgment or blessing or both. Now we just finished a series uh, just in at the end of April. Uh, called the bible in 90 days and if you weren't here for that what we did as a as a church group is we did our best to read through the bible in 90 days obvious title and so if you made it not everyone was able to finish because we don't all read at the same speed or level and that's fine but uh, if you were able to get into some of the books that are at the close of the old testament you'd see that the day of the lord is often referred to the prophets are referring to the, to the day of the Lord and, and they're referring to a, a, several events in which God vindicates his people, rescues his people, pours out his judgment against sin. And there have, been, there have been days of the Lord, just as there have been tribulations. But there is going to be a great day of the Lord where he does, where he does so with finality. He rescues his people. He pours out his judgment on those who are in opposition to him and there is never a need for that to happen again because human history has reached its culmination. God will set up his kingdom. He will give us a new heavens and a new earth and he will dwell in peace with his people for eternity. That's, that's the day of the Lord. And so there is a judgment aspect to that day of the Lord that's mentioned uh, in, the, in the verses that you can see there in parentheses in number one. Number two, the great tribulation. I've already read, read to you from Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus talks about that. And Jesus actually refers to it as, as uh, in verse 21. He says, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So Jesus himself refers to this great tribulation. Number three, it's referred to as as a time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is just another way of referring to Israel. It's going to be a time of great trouble for the the people of Israel. It's referred to as simply the wrath of God, again, in the prophetic literature and also in Revelation. And it's also referred to as the 70th week of Daniel. And I'm not going to take... The time to to rehearse all of that but as pastor ken explained last week daniel in chapter 9 gives this prophecy of 70 weeks and as as was concluded last week these refer to 70 groups of seven years so 70 units of seven years are the 70 weeks that daniel talks about and this last this last week the 70th week of daniel uh we believe is is the time of the great tribulation What's the purpose of the tribulation? At first, you can see in that that opening paragraph, when you're reading through these judgments, these horrific things that are being poured out on the world, it appears to be, as as the paragraph says, gratuitous violence unnecessarily and accomplishing very little of significance. And yet God does have a purpose in, what, in everything that he does and he does have a purpose in the judgment that he's going to pour out on the world. And the first item that you can see here, the first purpose of the tribulation, God uses the tribulation to pour out judgment on unbelievers and their sins. One of the lies that humankind has believed since the beginning that we continue to believe is that we can reject the rule of God without consequences. Every, every sin is a belief that we can game the system. Okay, Adam and Eve, they had, a, they had a pretty simple thing that they were not supposed to do. And yet they believed the lie that the, the, the outcome that God had promised would never happen. They believed the lie that, hey, God is just worried that you're going to infringe on his territory. You can do this and rather than being punished by God, you'll be God too. And every time you and I sin, we're thinking that we, we think we can do this without the consequences, without suffering the consequences. And the world in general rejects the rule of God and thinks that they can do so and get away with it. And... and feel like the world the world feels like they can do so and see I'm not getting struck by lightning nothing's happening in fact for hundreds of years things have gone on as they always will there aren't going to be the consequences that we were promised but the bible tells us differently the bible tells us that there are consequences and that there is going to be a judgment on people who will not align themselves with the king it's a fact and it says, you can see there in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 12, that first scripture that's given, verse 11, for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so, they will, so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. I mean, that is a description of our world. It is people taking pleasure in wickedness. And judgment is coming. But secondly, and it says perhaps more importantly, God uses the tribulation to bring the nation of Israel to a place of repentance and faith in Christ, their Messiah. There's a a specific purpose that relates to the Jewish people. And I talked about our Bible in 90 days reading. As we're reading through the Old Testament, what do we see over and over and over again? We see a cycle, don't we? We see God... Setting his people up, promising to bless them if they'll obey, promising certain punishments for their own good if they try to follow if they try to follow after the gods of the surrounding nations, if they reject his rule. And he puts them in these situations, and what do, what do God's people do? They continually align themselves with the nations around them. They continually they continually go after their gods. They continually reject the rule of God. And God finally, after being long-suffering again and again and again, uh, judges them for it. And the judgments come in in various forms, most often with some other invading nation taking control of the land and making God's people subservient to them, not the situation that they should be in. And the people labor under this sort of situation for a period of years. And then they cry out to the Lord for deliverance. And they repent. And God will use some, some sort of, of judge or prophet or king to deliver them. And then the cycle will repeat. It's frustrating sometimes to read... The Old Testament, because it plays over and over again like a broken record, continually showing human failure after human failure after human failure, and God being long suffering and being long suffering and finally judging them, and the people, when feeling the punishment and the judgment of God, crying out to Him and repentance and Him restoring them. That cycle is going to be broken here because God is going to pour out His judgment. People are, his people are eventually going to respond to Him. They are going to cry out to Him. They are going to accept Jesus as their Messiah and never to repeat that pattern again. That's, a, that's what the Bible, the Bible says is going to happen. We can see that in the next page, page 24, from verses like Jeremiah 30 and verse 7. There's, there's a redemptive purpose in this. The last line of that says he will be saved from it. It's the time of Jacob's distress, but he'll be saved from it. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 talks about them being rescued at the end of the verse. Uh, Zechariah 13, uh, verse 9 says, I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. That's the—that's what what is going to occur at the end of the tribulation. So then just briefly, we talked about the 70 weeks of Daniel and because we only have 10 minutes because of my long Ikea story, we're going to have to... I'm admitting it, okay? <laughs> we're going to have to... Uh, there's, there's way more material than we could come, even if we had all 45 minutes, which is why it's written, all written out for you. But in Daniel 70 weeks, it says that there are six things that are, that are supposed to happen through this 70-week period. You can see this on, verse, on page 25. It's about the middle of the page on page 25. You see Daniel 9:24 It says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Those are, those are the six things that are supposed to be accomplished during the 70 weeks that Daniel, that Daniel prophesies. And so you can see that these are, at the bottom of the page, that these are all, all great things, okay? Sin is going to be ended. Atonement is going to be made. That happened in Christ. Everlasting righteousness. There's going to be no more need for visions or prophecy. There's going to be a restored temple where people can worship God the way He deserves to be to be worshipped. All of these things are supposed to be accomplished through this through this 70-week period. And as as we as was said last week, uh, through our reading of the scriptures, it appears that uh, these six the first 69 weeks have happened. Let me read Daniel 9:25 to 27 to you. It's at the top of page 26. I'll tell you why we get this because it's going to it's going to mark out it's going to mark out why we say this. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah until Messiah the prince there there will be 7 weeks and 62 weeks. So that's 69 weeks. And the beginning and end of those times, the, f- the beginning of it, is the issuing of, a discre- uh, issuing of a decree to rebuild the temple. That happened. In fact, the, the, the empire paid for it. So n- remember, Nehemiah goes back and starts rebuilding the walls of the city. We read this. Okay? There's a decree issued that Jerusalem could rebuilt, be rebuilt, that the temple could be rebuilt. But it was also prophesied that at the end of these 69 weeks, the Messiah would be cut off, verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah would be cut off and have nothing. Okay, that has occurred. But as you can see from the chart there, there appears to be a gap between the 69th and the 70th week. It doesn't say how soon the events of the... Daniel's prophecy doesn't specify how quickly the events of the 70th week will occur. But the, uh, the events of the 70 week are, 70th week are described and we see them to be the great tribulation. So I'll continue reading. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wings of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So let me just summarize this for you for you briefly. There is going to be, after the rapture, during the tribulation, there is going to come one who is going to make a treaty with the people of Israel, a covenant with the, with the people of Israel. All these judgments are going, are going to be outpoured on the earth, and yet Israel is going to put their trust in this person. This person is Antichrist. And this is going to be the person who who restores to them their land, restores to them the temple worship. But in the middle of that three and a half year, in the the middle of that seven year period, after three and a half years, this Antichrist is going to turn on them. And it says here in Daniel's prophecy, he, on the wings of abominations will come one who makes desolate. This is the same thing that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24, Remember, I started. Talk, that's the same passage where he and the disciples are looking out over Jerusalem and they are saying, what's the sign of the end times? Jesus starts describing that to them. Jesus says in verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, that's the thing that we were just talking about in Daniel, which is spoken of through, through Daniel the prophet. He talks about that abomination of desolation, which it appears is, is Antichrist setting himself up as an object of worship midway through the tribulation. So they're put, the people of Israel are putting their trust in him, and yet he turns on them and perhaps sets himself up as the object of worship. And there remain three and a half years of judgment until Jesus finally comes and defeats finally his enemies and restores his kingdom. Okay, that's just a bird's eye view of what's going on at, during the tribulation period. And the notes are packed. You've got pages afterwards that... T- that give you uh that you can read through that talk about what the bible has to say about the antichrist and several several other things that take place during the tri- tribulation period but here's how I, here's how i'd like to leave it with you uh, let me read a verse to you let me make sure i pull the right right thing up here because we're talking about all this wrath We're talking about all this sin and it's a little bit unsettling because there's all these there's all these confusing things that we're that we're reading here and things that are are difficult to understand and put together and we're doing our best to, to do that. But it can be unsettling to read about the end times. It can be unsettling to think about about the judgments that are going to be poured out on the earth. And it may at times seem unfair because we don't like to think of God as as having wrath. But it would be disingenuous if, if we weren't to stand up before you and tell you that, that God exercises wrath against sin. That God is holy. That God is righteous. That God is just. I could tell you all of those things and those things are true. But I also have to say that God will exercise His wrath against those who refuse to put their faith in His Son. And lest we think that God's wrath it's capricious let me remind you that god's wrath isn't just being poured out on the world who else who else did god pour his wrath out on he poured his wrath out on his son you see god doesn't just stand distant disconnected from all this uncaring about the world it isn't necessarily even a delight for him to pour out these judgments on a world that refuses to believe on him. He will do that, but he has first poured out all of his wrath on Jesus. Why? So that it might not be poured out on you, and it might not be poured out on me. We sing a song in Christ alone, and that second verse says, In Christ alone, who took on flesh fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied. Why? For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I stand. At that moment, at the crucifixion, all of the Jesus took upon him our sins and the full cup of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so that Jesus cries out before he takes his last breath why have you forsaken me he called out to God and for the very first time God didn't answer he wasn't there why because he was bearing God's wrath so you and I don't have to. And so the response that we have amidst all these uncertain things is, do you believe that God has done that for you in Christ? Listen to these words. From 2 Peter 3, 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so the question I have is, will you take advantage of God's patience this morning? Will you take advantage, and how do I do that? You have to understand that your sin does rightly separate you from God and that you do deserve God's wrath. The first step towards coming to Christ is admitting that your sin is enough. It's not just a little bit of a a problem. It's a big deal. It's a problem that deserves God's wrath. And so you've got to admit that you are bad enough. And that's hard the Bible says you are. And the Bible says I am. And then it's to embrace the fact, not that the news isn't as bad as we thought, once thought it was, that our situation isn't as bad as we thought, because it is, but the solution is much greater than you ever could have imagined. Because the wrath that, is, that God is going to pour out on this world has, has been uh, absorbed by Christ. And if you will only run to him and repent of your sin and put your faith in him, he will save you. And he will show you grace and you will find yourself in that story that he is telling for all eternity. Let's pray.